Thank you, Sabrina. Thank God for the truth of Scripture. If we place our faith in Christ Jesus, and He makes us clean and holy, and we become right with God. Well, this morning, in just a moment, we're going to open the Word of God, and let Him speak to us, and in a moment we're going to look at Luke chapter 8 as we continue to study the Gospel and study the life of Jesus Christ through the book of Luke. But before we go into that, I just want to mention uh, what we've been talking about the last couple of months, I guess. And that is Imagine 2018. And of course, if you've been here, you know that that Imagine 2018 is just a resource initiative. And the vast, vast majority of that resource initiative goes so that we here at our church can build a student building. And that is just a way that we can accommodate the growth that we've had, especially in our student ministry and our college ministry. And our heart is to be able to reach the next generation for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to what the Bible says in Psalm 145.4. The Bible says there, Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. Jack Rentz, the founder of Word of Life, he used to say that it is the responsibility of every generation to reach the next generation for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is true, because if we don't reach the next generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ, then that generation will not be reached with the gospel, and then we will lose a generation, and then we will lose the next generation, and so on, and so on, and so on. So that's why we here at our church believe so radically that we should reach our children and our students with the gospel, because if we don't, no one else will, because this world's sure not going to do it. And that's why the Bible commands us as followers of Jesus Christ to do that. So just to accommodate our students honestly in their growth and to hopefully attract new students, we felt led that God has led us to build a new building just specifically for students. And last Sunday night as a church, we voted for that. And we voted just to go forward, to move, to build that building. And it's going to be right behind where the gym is, right beside that, connected to the gym. And it'll be a facility that we can hopefully attract new students and teach them about Jesus Christ and His ways. And so our heart is to be able to just pay cash for that building. We don't want to go in debt. We're not going to go in debt to build a building. So we want to be able to pay cash for that. And so in turn, we're doing an initiative called Imagine 2018. And it's just a three-year resource initiative so that we can pay cash for that building and do what God has called us to do. And over the last few weeks, we've just asked you to pray about that. And just pray and see what God lays on your heart. And if God speaks to you to give to that, then be be faithful to give to that. So hopefully you've been wearing a bracelet like this. It's just simply a rubber band that goes around your wrist just as a reminder to be in prayer about Imagine. So hopefully you've been doing that and hopefully you've heard a word from God. And if you have heard a word from God, all we're going to ask you to do is next Sunday, November 4th, that's Commitment Sunday. And we're going to ask you just to make that commitment, whatever it is. And you'll be getting these in the mail. They're all around the worship center, but they're just envelopes that we're going to give to God next week. And in that envelope, it's self-explanatory. It just talks about a gift. If you want to make just a one-time gift next week, do that. Plus a three-year commitment that God might have laid on your heart to give. And then you just write whatever the total is. If you have two of those, you total them up. One of those, you total them up, whatever it is. And just whatever God lays on your heart, you're just faithful to give that. And next Sunday, we're going to give that. So this morning, before we open God's Word, I just want Glenn Crow to come up and share a word Glenn serves on our stewardship team, and of course our stewardship team has been instrumental in this and just speaking into what God is leading us to do. But Glenn's also kind of heading up Imagine 2018. And the reason for that is, I believe anyway, he hasn't told me this, but I think I know this, is because his kids and now his grandkids have been reached by the preceding generation. 
by the faithfulness of this church. And through the faithfulness of this church, his kids were led to Jesus Christ when the word of God was shared. And so we just want to continue that, and we want our generation to be faithful for the next generation. So Glenn's just going to share a word about that. So I'm going to ask him to come and just share. They're going to turn your mic on. that <laughs> thank you when I talk about the church I'm not talking about this building I'm talking about you all and as I look around I see uh, a lot of folks that's made an impact in my life I started going to this church my family and I when I was eight years old that was in the early 60s I've seen a lot of things go on in this church I become a believer in this church when I was a teenager I allowed temptation to drag me away a few times, but God was always very faithful to bring me back. I saw my wife become a believer in this place. I saw three of my kids become a believer in this place. Four of my grandkids attend this church, and I've seen one of them already become a believer. And why? Do they become a believer? This church you have poured into my family. Uh, Mr. Kimball was my Sunday school teacher one time. He poured into me. Uh, learn a lot about the Bible, not just about Noah and the ark, but about Job, how Job was a righteous man. But God allowed him to be sifted where his friends around him could see who God was. Uh, the Bible has been taught to me. And when John asked me to be a part of this and showed me the plan, I thought, absolutely, I'll be a part of it. I'll support it. We have uh, so many families who's not in church and don't know what the Bible says. They don't know who Jesus Christ is. We got them all around us. But at this present time, I see God working through this church to reach the community and especially a lot of the younger community that parents don't really see the importance of becoming a believer. So I, I think it's very important for us to continue to move forward. Uh, we're just talking about a million and a half. If you say it fast, that's not bad at all. <laughs> you know? But here's the deal. If we'll all do our part to make a little sacrifice... On Monday week, I would love to hear, we went over a million and a half. We're not talking a whole lot in today's terms. To walk away debt-free and have a, everything we need, the upgrade of the sound system, the, the building for the youth. When God's at work, there's one thing I learned from Henry Blackaby and Lonnie Riley. When God's at work, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You just go join in to where he's working at. And that's all I'm asking you all. God is at work in our youth, in our community, working to reach Christ around. As for Marsha and I, we will support this. You can bet we'll support it. And all I'm asking you 
is to consider doing the same thing. Look and see what you can do. So let's really pour into this and get it done. Next Sunday, we want to be through with it. Not next month, next Sunday. Remember, next Sunday, wear your bracelet, pray about it. Look at your budget, see what you can do. And as a radio, one of these little radio hosts, as she signs off every day, go and do the right thing. That's what I'm asking you. Thank you very much. Amen. Well, thank you, Glenn. Well, the whole point, I mean, imagine 2018 is we can do more together than we can do apart. I don't know anybody in this room that can write a check for a million and a half. I can't. I wish I could, but I can't. And probably you can't either. But when we come together in faith and when we sacrificially do what the Bible tells us to do and God honors that and blesses that, then we can do whatever he's called us to do. And we can build a new student building so that we can reach kids for the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite things is on Thursday morning, most Thursday mornings when I come in, I get to hear reports about what happened the night before in youth. And this last Thursday morning, Jared came in and told me that one of the kids just from back behind us in the community behind us came to church Wednesday night. He had only been here a couple times. But this last Wednesday night, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And that's why we do this. So we can attract more kids here. So more kids can give their life to Jesus Christ and be saved. And then transform our church. But not only transform our church. Transform our community and transform our world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you haven't been praying about Imagine, please pray. That's all we're asking you to do. Just pray. Let God speak into your life. Not John, not Glenn, but God. And when God speaks, just simply obey. And so this morning, that's what we're going to look at in Scripture. So if you have your Bible, turn there in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, as we've just been systematically walking through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, hearing what God has to speak into our life. This morning, we've come to a section of Scripture in Luke chapter 8. And in just a moment, we're going to read God's Word there. I tell you a lot, the way I pray is I pray Scripture. And many of the prayers, probably most of the prayers that I have for this church are just scriptural prayers. And the reason I'm such a big proponent of praying scripture is because I know when I'm praying scripture, I'm praying the will of God. And Jesus says, when we pray according to the will of our Father, we can ask for anything and it will be granted. So that's why I pray the word of God. So a prayer that I've been praying for this church for the last three years, three and a half years, ever since I've been your pastor, is a prayer out of the book of Acts. And it's Acts chapter 4, verse 31. And the Bible simply says this in Acts 4. It says, after this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they preached the word of God with boldness. Now, that's a simple prayer. But I've never seen that prayer answered in my life in any place I've ever served, any place I've ever been a member of. But I pray that prayer all the time for you, for me, for this church. That we would be people of prayer. And that as we pray, we would be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And then nothing would stop the move of God. Because He's moving through us. Last Monday, this past Monday, right after we voted last Sunday as a church to go forward with building the building for our students. On Monday morning, I got here early to come into work and where I park to come into work is right behind the gym because I have a back door to my office, so I always come in that back door. So I walk right across the property where we're going to build the student building. And so every day when I walk that property, I pray for the property. But last Monday when I was walking to my back door of my office and I was walking on that property and praying, I looked out over the property and in the middle of the property, I saw two doves. 
Now, I've never seen doves there before, but there were two doves and they were just nesting right there on the property. Now, that might not mean much to you, but that means everything to me. Because if you ever read the Bible, you might want to read about the symbolism of the dove. Because what the dove in the Bible symbolizes is just the presence of God. Two different times. To show you that, I'll just start by asking a question. It's a simple question, but it's a profound answer. And the question is this. When Jesus Christ walked this earth, what made him different than you and I? Now, I know your answer to that question. Well, he was God. Well, yes, he was God. We know Jesus was God. But the Bible says God became flesh. So Jesus Christ became flesh. He became just like you and I. He had the same sorrow that you and I feel. He had pain. He felt physical pain. He felt emotional pain. He felt spiritual pain. He cried. He laughed. He had the capability of sin. Now, he never sinned because he didn't choose sin like we do, but he had the capability to sin. Jesus was like us in every way. That's what the Bible describes. But yet, Jesus is the one who raised people from the dead. He's the one who healed the blind, who made the lame walk. He's the one who himself was raised from the dead to defeat the grave. So what made him different than you and I if he was flesh, if he was human? What made him different? Well, I'll tell you what made him different because the Bible tells us what made him different. If you go read the book of John, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, Matthew, John, Luke, they all tell us this. Jesus did something in particular. He went down to the Jordan River, and the Bible says that at the Jordan River, John the Baptist baptized him. Now, John the Baptist didn't want to baptize him because he knew he was the Messiah. But for whatever reason, John the Baptist obeyed the word of God and he baptized them. And I want you to hear what happens. This is what John testifies. John the Baptist says in John 1, verse 32. He says, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. Resting on who? Jesus. I didn't know he was the one. But when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one whom you see, the Spirit descend and rest, is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now, two different times here, John the Baptist says that he saw the Holy Spirit resting on Jesus Christ just like a dove. You see, that word twice in John 1, 32 and 33 is very important, the word rest. Because the difference between Jesus Christ and you and I is the presence of God, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit rested upon him and never left him the entire time he did his earthly ministry. And for whatever reason that I don't understand, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, completely submitted himself to the will of the Father. He did everything according to the will of the Father. He tells us that over and over and over again. But not only did he submit himself to the will of the Father, he submitted himself to the Holy Spirit of God, and the Holy Spirit of God worked through him in power. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, listen to what the Bible says. Acts 10.38. Acts 10.38 says this, And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then, not before, but after, then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. How do we know God was with him? Because the Holy Spirit was working through him. And so the difference between Jesus Christ and us 
is the power of the Holy Spirit of God resting upon him, never leaving him, working through him every single day of his life. The problem with you and I is unlike Jesus, we grieve the Holy Spirit when we sin. We quench the Holy Spirit or stop the work of the Holy Spirit of God in our life just by simply telling him no. Jesus Christ never did that. And if we would live lives like Jesus Christ and just simply say yes to the Holy Spirit, whatever he tells us to do, then in John 14, Jesus says, not only can we do the same things he did, we can do greater things than he did in John 14, 12. He says that. So I don't know about you, but I've never done anything greater than Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ promised that I could. If I would just simply submit myself to the will of God and to the work of the Holy Spirit of God, I can do greater things than Jesus Christ according to Jesus himself. But the problem is I don't let the Holy Spirit of God work through me. Because rarely do I completely and utterly obey every word the Holy Spirit of God says to me. I like to question the Holy Spirit. I like to say things like if or but. And I'm pretty sure that you do the same thing as well. But if we would submit to his will and submit to his word, we could do more and better and greater things than Jesus Christ ever did. So this morning, I just want you to hear how you can submit to that word and how you can know when the Holy Spirit of God is working through you and teaching you and leading you. And it's simply by obeying the word of God. Because this is how the Holy Spirit of God speaks. Without the Holy Spirit of God, these words are just words on a page, just like any book in any library. But when the Holy Spirit of God combines with these words, then this word becomes the living, breathing word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so he speaks into our life. And that's what Jesus Christ is telling us this morning as we study a parable. And in the book of Luke, we kind of come to a shift in the book of Luke. Because this is really the first time Jesus Christ starts speaking in parables. And he did it for a very specific reason. Jesus Christ had followers at this point. The Bible said, we looked at last week, many were following him. But not only were many following him, there were also crowds pressing in on him, wanting to hear and wanting to see the things that he did. Really, the crowds that were coming to see Jesus Christ wanted something from Jesus Christ. They wanted a miracle. They wanted healing. They wanted what he had to offer. They didn't want to obey and follow. So the Bible says that he begins to speak in parable. And all a parable is, is it's just a story that speaks spiritual truth. So Jesus begins to speak into parables, to speak spiritual truths into our life. And the parable we're going to look at this morning is we often refer to it as the parable of the sower. But it's not really a parable of the sower, it's the parable of the soils. Because when the word of God is sown, when it is shared... What is more important than the word being shared is where it is planted. It's the soil in which it takes root in. And in this parable, Jesus gives us the hearts and the attitudes of the hearts where the word of God is sown. So this morning, I just want to read it to you and then we'll talk about it. So if you have your Bible, look there in Luke 8. I'm going to start reading in verse 4. The Bible says here, one day Jesus told a story in the form of a parable to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. He says in verse 5, a farmer went out to plant his seed. As he scattered it across the field, some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on and the birds ate it. Other seed fell among rocks. It began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for lack of moisture. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked it out. 
the tender plant. Still others fell on fertile soil. This seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much that had been planted. When he said this, he called out, Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. His disciples asked him, What this parable means? He replied, You are permitted to understand the secrets for the kingdom of God, but I use parables to teach others that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they look, they won't really see. When they hear, they won't understand. In verse 11, he gives the meanings. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. The seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe it for a little while, but then they fall away when they face temptation. Verse 14. Then the seeds felled among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares, riches, and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. And the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest and good-hearted people who hear God's word, who cling to it, and patiently produce a large harvest. Now, the problem with this parable is so many times when we hear this parable, and often when I hear this parable preached, we hear this parable as just a means to salvation. And whoever's preaching, an evangelist or a preacher, they'll say, well, these hearts are basically people that are represented. And when the Word of God is shown, if their heart's hard, they reject the Word of God and they never get saved. And then he goes on through the hearts and talks about them and talks to them about salvation. So, so often in our minds, if we're saved, what we do is we turn off Scripture and say, that's not for me, that's for those who are lost. But that's not the way you should read this parable. Because this parable is not talking about distinct people. This parable is talking about the attitude of your heart. And every day, you can have all four of these attitudes in your heart because it is an attitude. And we can all have them whether we're saved or lost. So this morning, I just want you to see the attitudes and I want you to see the dangers of all the attitudes because I believe that's where most of us, the majority of us live. Very few of us live in the last attitude where the soil is good and produces a crop. We live somewhere in between that in the first three. So this morning, all I ask is about your heart. Consider the condition of your heart. Jesus starts there by talking about a hard-hearted person. In verse 5, he says, A farmer went out to plant his seed. He scattered it across the field, and some fell on a footpath where it was stepped on, and the birds ate it. Now, of course, this is talking about soil that is hard, that is rocky, and the seed cannot penetrate it. It just lies there. And because it lies there, birds come, and they take it, and they eat it for food. Often if you would see a farmer going out and he was scattering seed or sowing a crop, there would always be a flock of birds around. And they were hovering around waiting for that seed, not to fall on good soil where it would penetrate and sink in. They couldn't get it. But it was looking for some that would fall on hard soil and they would come and they would eat it. And the Bible says, many who hear the word of God, that's exactly what happens to them. Now listen to me this morning. You are hearing the word of God because the word of God is being preached. Now, you can hear the Word of God, but for many of you, when you hear it, it goes in one ear and right out the other. Why? Because there's something happening in this room that we cannot see. Satan, his army, which is called demons, they are working in your life right now, and they are there to steal the Word of God. Why? Because they don't want you to obey the Word of God. They don't want you to work and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. They want you to disobey His Word. And if you don't know the Word of God, guess what you do? It Oftentimes, you disobey it. 
Why not all the time? Because you live by your flesh rather than the word of God. And so Satan is working to distract you this morning. He's working to steal the word of God so that you don't hear it, so that you don't obey it. And many of you won't get to that back door before that word is already stolen. How do I know? Well, here's a good question for you. What was my sermon last week? What was my sermon the week before? Now you're thinking, oh Lord, what was it? You might look down at scripture and you say, oh, well, I can just go back to the verses before. Well, I guess you can do that. But can you honestly say last week you heard the word of God and it penetrated your heart and you allow that word to work throughout the week and God used it to transform your life to be like Jesus Christ so that you can do greater things than he did? Probably not. Why? Because many of your hearts are hard. And your heart is hard because you care more about the things of this world than you do about the things of God's kingdom. How do I know? We'll just keep reading scripture. Not only does he talk about a hard heart, he talks about a shallow heart. Verse 6, other seed fell among rocks and it began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for lack of moisture. Now later on, Jesus tells us in verse 12 that the people who received this word received it with joy. These are most of the time of people who come to church just looking for an emotional fix. They want to feel good about what they believe about the word of God. They want to feel good about their religion. They want things to be exciting. They want to be happy. If you want to know what's happening in our society today and why so many people jump from church to church to church and why churches will feed that by entertaining people and telling them what they want to say rather than what the word of God says, it's because they're playing to those who have shallow hearts. And guess what? There's a lot of people in our society who have a shallow heart. What's deceiving about a shallow heart is the seed does take root and it grows up very fast. And so they look good on the outside. But the only problem is they have no root system. And when the sun begins to bake down on them and they have no moisture because their roots don't go down deep, what happens? They wilt and they fall away. And then they become bitter and they become angry and they have unforgiveness and resentment all in their heart. That's the danger of the prosperity gospel. It leads people away from God rather than leading people to God because it's a lie because it's not the word of God. There are many who have a shallow heart. But not only are there people who have a shallow heart, there are many people who have a divided heart or a crowded heart. And this is where most of us in this room fit, right here. 90% of us live right here. We have a divided heart. Look at verse 7. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. They fell among thorns. And it grew up and choked out the tender plants. If you've ever farmed or know anything about farming and planted a garden, one thing you'll realize that in the ground, in even good soil, there is a limited amount of nutrients, there's a limited amount of water. So if there are thorns, if there are weeds that are growing with the good plant, guess what gets the water? Guess what gets the nutrients? The weeds, the thorns. And what happens is they grow just as the plant, the good plant grows. But over time, and slowly usually, the thorns or the weeds begin to choke out the plant. But it doesn't happen immediately. It just happens over time because they will take over if they are not tended to. Now this is where all of us live because most of us in this room have a divided heart. Because what we desire is we want the things of this world, but we also want the things of God. It doesn't work that way. Not according to the word of God. So how is our heart divided? 
Well, Jesus tells us how our hearts divided. If you just read the scripture, he goes on to tell us in verse 14. He says, the seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the word of God or hear the message, but are all too quickly. The message is crowded out by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life. Three things that divide our heart are three things that crowd out the word of God in our heart. First thing he says there are the cares of this world. A better word for that, I think, is the worries of this world. Most every person in this room has worries, things you worry about in life. The word worry comes, our English word worry comes from the German word wirgen. And the word wirgen just simply means to choke out exactly what Jesus Christ is talking about here. Worries of this life choke out everything of God in our life. Why? Because if you excessively worry about things, the first thing you are doing is you're not depending on God for everything that's happening in your life. You're letting your worries and your anxiety overcome the promises of God. And when we do that, we just simply deny truth. We deny scripture. We deny the word that is sown into our heart when we worry. I read not long ago when I was studying about worry. A study that was done many, many years ago about worry and the things we worry about. And this is what the statistician who was doing this study, this was his conclusion. He said 40% of everything we worry about will never happen. 40%. 30% of what we worry about has already happened. It's happened in the past. 12% of what we worry about is just simply criticism of others. 10% of the things we worry about is about our health. And guess what makes our health worth when we worry, when we have stress? And he concluded that only 8% of the things we worry about actually constitute a problem in our life. So that means 92% of everything we worry about is useless to worry about, and only 8% of the things we worry about actually might even come to fruition. But the Bible says we don't even have to worry about 8% because we can give 100% of our cares and worries to God. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. Give your worries to God. But so often the worry of this life chokes out the Word of God in our life. Not only the worries of this life, but the riches of this life or the wealth of this life. The same parable in Matthew 13, Jesus says this, he talks about the deceitfulness of wealth. And that's what wealth is, it's deceitful. Because when we get a little bit of wealth or a little bit of things, what does it always lead to? It leads to wanting more and more and more and more. I can remember when I was 10 years old, I started my first job. My family owned a lumber company. And so my dad made me work in the summers. And at that point, when I was 10, guess what the minimum wage was? $3. So I can remember the minimum wage was $3. So my dad said, I'll pay you minimum wage. So the first week I worked, I worked almost 20 hours, 20-something hours. So my first paycheck was around 60 bucks. Now, I thought I was the richest 10-year-old on earth. I had more money than I could spend in a lifetime. But you know what I came to figure out? That that money went pretty quick, even as a 10-year-old. Because I wanted things, and I went and bought things. So eventually, when I was about 12, I asked my dad for a raise. And guess what he did? He raised it to minimum wage, whatever it was at that time. So I didn't know much about minimum wage. But evidently, minimum wage grows over time. So he wouldn't give it to me unless I asked for it. So I asked for it, and he gave it to me. So I did that all the way through high school. And every time I would get a raise, every time I would get more money, guess what I would want? More money, because I would spend the money I have. And all it would do, all the time I would get a raise, or all the time I would get things, is it would just lead to me wanting more. So maybe you're asking the question, well, how much money is enough? I don't know, because I've never had enough. And probably you haven't either. Because we can never have enough of the things of this life. That's the way we live, right? 
John Rockefeller, one of the richest people that ever lived in America, someone asked him the question one time, when are you going to retire? And he said, when I have enough money. And he said, well, when will you ever have enough money? When I have just $1 more. That's what he said. Just $1 more. And that's the way we live our life. We just want one more dollar. We just want one more thing in this life. We just want one more thing so we can be happy or pleasure. Do you know the fastest growing business in America? Do you know what it is? The fastest growing business. It's mini storage. If you don't believe me, drive up 43. They're building two huge mini storages right up 43. Now think about mini storage. Think about that for just a moment. Think about what that says about us as a people in the United States of America. What it says is our houses are so full of junk, they won't hold anymore, so we have to go rent a mini storage unit to put more junk in the mini storage unit. And what do we do? We buy more junk, and then what do we do? We rent another mini storage. Is that not true? Why? Because we want more of this world. We have a divided heart. Many of you say, well, I want the things of God. And maybe you do want the things of God, but you know what chokes that out? Wanting the things of this world more. And you want more, and you want more, and you want more. And you're never satisfied because it will never satisfy. What's the only thing that satisfies? Well, Jesus said, if you're thirsty, what? He will give you what? He will give you water and you will never thirst again. He's the bread of life. If you eat of the bread of life, you will never hunger again. You can be satisfied in Christ Jesus and in his word and in his promises. But when it's choked out by the cares, the worries of this world, when it's choked out by the wants, the riches of this world, you're never satisfied. That's what he's trying to tell us. Our hearts are divided. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Not seek ye first the wealth of this world. Don't seek ye first the money so you can have enough money to retire and then you can do the things the kingdom of God tells you to do. No, he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Here's a good question for you. If all your prayers that you've been praying this week were answered right now, how many people would be saved? If all the prayers that you prayed this week, out of all of them, how many lives would be transformed? Probably many of your prayers would just be that if they were answered, you would have the stuff you wanted. Oh, I just want enough money to retire. I just want enough money to do this. I just want enough money to do that. Send my kids to college. Blah, blah, blah. It can go on and on till the end of time because you're never satisfied with the things of this world. Amen? You don't have to say amen or not. It's true. Jesus finally talks about one final attitude of the heart. He talks about a teachable heart. He says, still other seed, the word, fell on fertile soil. This seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planted. Unfortunately, there's not much fertile soil in this room. How do I know? Because the Bible tells me. Jesus often used agricultural metaphors. You realize that? He used another agricultural metaphor in Matthew 9 when he was talking about a harvest. At the end of Matthew 9, in verse 35, Jesus says, The harvest is great, but what? The workers are few. So what are we to pray for? Pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest that he would send more workers into the field. Why are the workers few? Because there's no workers with fertile soil. Because they don't what? They don't produce a crop, a harvest. 
See, for you to have a teachable heart, for you to have fertile soil in your heart, it takes work. You have to cultivate that heart. If you ever know anything about farming, farming is hard work. And you have to cultivate. And cultivate means that you till the soil. It means you get the rocks, the weeds, you take care of all that. You water, you put fertilizer or nutrients in the soil so that the seed will grow. Well, Jesus says the seed is the word of God. And if you want to have a teachable heart, you have to cultivate that heart. That means you have to work at it. That means you have to read the word of God. That means you have to pray. You have to memorize scripture. It means you have to serve and do the things that God commands. And when you do that, when the word of God is sown into your life, when the Holy Spirit speaks into your life, what happens? You produce fruit. Is that not what we're all supposed to do as followers of Christ? That's the evidence. That's the mark that we're Christians. There's no fruit in your life. There's no evidence that you're truly a follower. You might be one of the other souls. Shallow or a divided or even a hard heart. But When we are teachable, God's word flourishes in our life and then we sow the word of God and then there is a harvest reaped. How many harvests have we seen? Sure, we see salvations. Just think about the percentage of salvations we see, even at our church. It's just over 10% of everybody that come here on a Sunday morning. So what does that say? Well, what it says to me is we got 90% of our people that don't have a teachable heart. That's what it says. Because we're not experiencing the fruit That the word of God promises through the power of the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus Christ enjoyed as he walked this earth. Here's one of the greatest promises of scripture. God can take your heart. and He can soften it. Ezekiel 36, one of my favorite scriptures, verse 25, this is what the prophet Ezekiel says. He says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Verse 27, and I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. God can give you a new heart. And when you have a new heart, and that heart is fertile, and when it is teachable, and when you obey the Word of God because the Spirit of God is in you, then you will reap a harvest. And you will see God move in your life in ways that I can't even describe or imagine. One of my favorite stories from the mission field comes from Zimbabwe, and it comes from a man who was the head of the International Bible Society there. His name was Gaylord Kimbrani. Dr. Gaylord would go out often and he would give Bibles to anyone who would take a Bible. And one day he was in a little village in Zimbabwe and he gave a Bible to a man and the man was very honest with him. He said, sir, if you give me this Bible, all I'm going to do is tear the pages out, roll it up and smoke cigarettes from it. Dr. Gaylord said this, he said, okay, I will allow you to do that and I'll give you permission to do that, even the Bible, if you will just promise me one thing. If every time you smoke a cigarette, you'll read what's on the page before you smoke it. The man agreed. About 20 years later, Dr. Gaylord saw this man at an evangelism conference, at a Bible conference in the capital of Zimbabwe. The man came up to him and said, you probably don't remember me, but you gave me a Bible 20 years ago. And I told you I was going to smoke the Bible. That's what I was going to do, roll it up in cigarettes. And you made, made me make a promise that I would read it before I smoked it. 
This is what the man said. He said, I smoked my way all the way through Matthew. I smoked my way all the way through Mark and Luke. And then I came to the book of John. And I came to John 3.16. And I couldn't smoke anymore. Because the word of God penetrated his heart. And he was saved. That's what the word of God will do. If you allow it to work in your life. And if you sow it so it can work in others' lives. The Word of God is powerful because the Holy Spirit of God is powerful. Just as you can allow the Holy Spirit of God to work in your life, you can stop the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And you do it by just simply not listening, hearing, obeying the Word of God. Bow with me, Lord. We thank you for your Word. We thank you for the truth thereof. Lord, I know there are people in this room that need this word. So, Lord, I just pray that you would speak truth into their life. Lord, I pray for the hard-hearted person. Lord, I pray if their hard heart has kept them from you. That today you would give them a new heart because you would clean them and forgive them of their sins through the work of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray if there's someone here who has a shallow heart and they've relied on emotion and when that emotion dried up, they became angry or bitter at you. Lord, I pray that you would speak truth into their life and they would ground themselves on your word and your truth and not the lies of man. Lord, for those of us in this room who hearts divided, Lord, take away our wants and desires from this world. Give us a hunger for your word. Let us all be that heart that's teachable and that produces a crop. So Lord, just speak truth into this place and use this for your glory. Lord, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.